Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. If you have your Bibles today, I want to encourage you to open up the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. And find the eighth chapter. Hold on to the rock in one hand and your Bible in the other. And if by chance you didn't bring a Bible, go ahead and pull out your smartphone and download Version, which is a free Bible app, and you can follow along with your smart version, smartphone, regardless of what you got. By the way, while I'm saying that, um, let me go ahead and get a quick pic of you that I can post. Uh, let me see here. I think I want to do the panorama version. So everybody smile. Here we go. Nice. Nice. Looking better. Looking better. Looking mm, a little rough there. Okay. Looking better. Okay. We got it. All right. Now, I'll post that on my Instagram later today and look forward to seeing yours. Hashtag Sugar Hill Church. Thanks for being here. We're really glad that you came. In John chapter 8, we find one of the most fascinating stories. Now, if you notice this rock, it's, it's heavy, it's hard. And if you chunk that bad boy and hit somebody in the head, what does it feel like? Ouch. Very good. That's right. Yeah, you, you throw that. It hurts, doesn't it? And you know what I've learned? We are good at doing this. I mean, we know, we know how to chunk a rock. Look in chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Now let me make sure you understand that the context here is that if you go back to Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you're going to find about five instances where the law of the Old Testament says if you're caught in the act of adultery... You stone to death the male and the female, the man and the woman. And, and you say, well, it's just so barbaric. Yeah, it's worse than that. You not just stone them to death. When you're done, you cut them up into pieces. Okay, these are gross people. All right, that's the, that's the penalty here. And she's busted right there. I mean, we, she has been caught. And according to the Old Testament law, pre-Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees, and if you don't know, that's kind of a Bible term, so if you're not familiar with these people, these are the big cogs in the synagogue. I mean, these guys, they're the ones that make the rules. They are big deals in the church. They are very religious people. Are you with me? Are you get a picture of somebody like that in your mind right now? Okay, these people hadn't had fun since they were four. All right, because they're, they're always looking for a rule. We, we got to bust somebody in rule. So they find this lady who's caught in adultery. Now, let me ask you, uh, let me state the obvious. How many people does it take to be caught in adultery? See, you guys are math majors, right? But how many people did they bring to Jesus? So they've already broke their own rule by trying to follow the rule. By the way, I found the more religious you get, the more you break the rules you make. You ever notice that? I mean, you ever find somebody that's always looking for how somebody's supposed to be before they can come to church? Uh, you know what I've always found? That person somewhere, some way has some hidden sin that they just don't want to deal with, so it's easier to point at somebody else's. So if you're that person today, let me say, welcome home to the Sugar Hill Church of Hypocrites. 
I love it when people say, well, I could never go to church. I, I, I feel like a hypocrite. Welcome home. I got a church full of them. Yeah, you've got a pastor. It's one of them. Got it. Welcome home. Well, there she is busted. And then look what happens. Back to verse five, it says again, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, I don't, I want to make sure you understand the context here. You got an angry mob of people who know how to chunk a rock and they're good at it. You know how I know they're good at it? They've done it and they enjoyed it. And they chunked and hurled these rocks and they were, they had a pocket full. They came ready, armed, ready to go. Don't you know people who have a pocket full of rocks that can't wait to chunk it at you? I mean, seriously. And you know what? They had a pocket full of rocks. Somebody ought to name a band that. And so they had a pocket full of rocks. That'll catch up about two o'clock and you'll say that was good. So they were ready to chunk the rock. And in the middle of the chaos of an angry mob with rocks in their hand, there she is standing next to Jesus. And as only Jesus can do in the middle of the chaos, he is peaceful and kneels down and writes in the sand. Now, we don't know what he wrote. And I've asked people all week long, what do you think he wrote? I asked Bobby, I asked Ron, I asked Ryan, I asked Hector, I've asked everyone, what do you think he wrote? And no, nobody knows. I mean, in my human state, I can't wait to ask God what Jesus wrote there. When I get to heaven, it won't matter. I'll just be going, wow. But I, here's what I believe. Here, here's this woman who's guilty as sin, literally. And there's the crowd that has accused her, all holding a rock. And they're all ready. I mean, all of a sudden, they're They're ready. And Jesus calmly bends down and he writes in the sand. Now, I don't know what he wrote, but, but, but I really believe in my heart it was something like this. I heart you. And then I think he wrote underneath it. I think he said this, watch this. <laughs> it's going to blow your mind. So I bet she saw him write that. And in the middle of the chaos, she found peace. Because you know what I found? In the middle of chaos, there's only one person who brings you peace. When the world's ready to chunk a rock at you, there's only one place that's your, that's your shield. There's only one place that he promises, I'll never slumber, I'll never sleep. I'll never forsake you, I'll never leave you. I want him. That's who I want. I don't want to be with the crowd, I want, I want to be with him. And she says, watch this. And, and she's thinking, this is going to be good. So Jesus, watch what happens in Scripture. It says here, he, he took his finger and wrote on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and here's what he said to them. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Can you imagine the faces of these highly religious people? He said, what? I heard a clerk at Belk the other day. Say from one clerk to the other one. You know what she said? You did what you should have did. And you know what my mother-in-law said? That's a sermon title. You know what happened? 
those people were about to do what they knew to do, and she did what she had to do. She got with Jesus, and Jesus then looked at her and said, tell you what, those of you who don't have any sin, you go ahead and take that rock and chunk it. Now watch what happens. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. This is twice he writes. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? And she turned around and there was nothing but a pile of rocks left. Then I think she looked down and she saw where he scratched, watch this. And you know what I believe she said in her heart? Bam. <laughs> I'm sticking with him. <laughs> but now Jesus didn't go light on her either. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one. And listen to that next word. No one, Lord. You see, she, she got her vertical relationship with God right because Jesus became her Lord. And as a result, she got her horizontal relationships right. You see, what happens is we get all flustered in our horizontal relationships and we chunk rocks at one another. And the reason we chunk rocks at one another is we don't have our vertical relationship right with the Lord. Because when we're right with Him, everything gets right here. And the challenge is trying to make sure we get right here. But to get right here, you got to stop seeing everybody else's fault and deal with your own. You see, I, I believe what Jesus really does here is he, he loves this lady, the sinner, but he hates the sin because look what he does with her. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Now, literally what he was saying was, go and don't do this sin again. Go and don't do this sin again. You see, some of us, we hear and we're busted and we're sorry, so we go and sin some more. But see, there's a difference between sorry and being repentant. You see, sorry says, wow, I'm sorry I got caught. Wah. Now people know I'm a sinner as if we didn't know it already. Versus I am so sorry before my God that I'm going to allow him to turn my life around, repent, make a you turn, go and sin that way no more. Are you with me? That is learning from your sin and your sorrow and Jesus doing what he did with here and saying, I'm not going to condemn you because I've already paid the price for your foolishness. You see, in Jesus's power, what we find in this passage is that there's absolutely nothing wrong with calling sin exactly what it is. God hates sin, but he makes it clear that sin will never have a place in his presence. Unrepentant sin has to be dealt with, starting with our own. However, as followers of Jesus, we're called to hate sin and stand against sinful behavior. But John 3, 17 says, Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn us, but to save us from this world. Well, sometimes I think we have this picture that, that God is standing up there in heaven with a, with a pointed finger just looking to bust you for something. Literally, what Jesus is saying, I love you so much. If you just follow my ways, I, I know you love me. He's not making it hard. It's not, like, it's not like he's got a ruler waiting to slap us across our knuckles. He said, I want you to love me. I want you to hear me this morning. It's important to remember that God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. But I also want you to hear this. It's high time that we learn to love the sinner and hate our own sin. 
Jesus died to redeem lost people, to buy them back from the penalty and punishment of sin. And more important than our call to hate sin often is, the, is, the, is to love sinful people. You see, too often we forget this fundamental pact. We look at folks and we size them up, we pass judgment on them, and all of a sudden we begin chunking rocks. Well, this is what's wrong with them. This is what, you know, it doesn't take long. But if, if, you're go, if, you go, if you go camping and looking for snakes, you know what you're going to find them? And if you go camping looking for bluebirds, you're going to find them. You know what I found? You're going to look, you're going to find exactly what you're looking for. So if, so if your heart is such that you want to find problems, just do this for me. Just, just, just as unconventional as this is, swivel your head around, look at all the people around you. Go ahead. I know some of you are too cool to do it, but look around. Look around. You know what you see? A bunch of sinful, messed up people. Okay, now look right back here. You know what you see? A sinful, messed up pastor. You say, well, isn't it great that we're all together? You know what's even greater? That we grow beyond it. That every, every day we take a step toward becoming more like Christ. You see, we look at folks and we see faults and failures of others without realizing, recognizing we're not without our own faults ourselves. As the Pharisees took this woman out before Jesus, she's nothing more than a pawn in a plan to attack Jesus. But let's not forget the fact that there was a man involved and they had no, they, they had already broken their own law. Both of them were guilty, but one thing's clear about life. The behavior that comes from the flesh never has to make sense. The rock throwing began when the, when, when the Pharisees placed themselves in the role of being good. You see, some of us are sitting here today and say, I, I'm not Pharisee. Well, I'm, I'm good. I, God, God, I'm a good person. Romans 3.12 says, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Paul's writing this and he's saying, listen, there's nothing you offer this world that's good except Jesus. Everything else is garbage. And everything else includes chunking a rock, except for the presence of Jesus. The law that the Pharisees were so careful to quote and defend had already been disregarded because they'd only brought one woman. Clearly, there was no interest in justice. The rock throwing began before anyone picked up a rock. It began with a malicious intent to discredit Jesus, no matter who got harmed in the process. The truth of the matter is this. We're all guilty of sin, and we're all guilty as sin. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. We're, every one of us are addicts in this room. Well, Chuck, I'm not an alcoholic. Well, Chuck, I'm, I'm not a drug addict. Well, Chuck, I'm not addicted to sex. Well, Chuck, I'm not addicted to porn. Well, Chuck, you know what we are addicted to? Every person in this room is addicted to sin. You say, well, Chuck, I'm, I'm pretty stinking perfect. Well, then you just got busted for being prideful. You see, that's the challenge. What Jesus points out to this lady is you've really made a mess of your life. Now, look at them. The only one that really needs to judge you is the Lord Jesus. And when he does, it's going to come down hard and it's going to end with love. Now, don't get me wrong. The church shouldn't be soft on sin. You see, I believe we ought to call sin, sin. But listen to me. Our man-made rules should never be how we deal with sin. This book is how we deal with sin. And by the way, this book tells us how Jesus dealt with it. Sweetie, come here. Watch this. You messed up your life. I'm going to condemn you of your sin. But you know what? I'm going to condemn the sin and I'm going to love you. Now go and do that no more. Does that sound like a wrathful God or does that sound like a God who says, I got a plan for you and I want to move you beyond your mistakes and I want to love you into a brand new life? 
See, what, what, what was the root of the problem? It was an unforgiving heart. A heart that will neither let go of past pains or endure current difficulties. A life with, life with no direction, a life with no correction, a life with no relation, and a life with no accountability. Jesus had disturbed their way of life. He challenged their preconceived ideas of religion. Jesus disturbed their power by appealing to the masses. Jesus disturbed their position because he was drawing these large groups of people. Jesus disturbed their personal ideas that were not in line with the direction of the Father. And here's a thought. If if you've got a Twitter account, this is worth tweeting. If we remember the wrongs which others have done to us, we destroy the power of the remembrance of God. Listen, hanging on to a bitterness or hanging on to a fault or hanging on to a pettiness is like swallowing a poison you intended for somebody else and it literally eats you up from the inside out. You've thrown a rock into a, into, into a trampoline and it came out and hit you right in the forehead. So why did these men want to throw stones? Well, they, they wanted to throw them for the same reason we do. We throw stones because we harbor hatred. We throw stones because we hold on to bitterness. We throw stones because we're entangled in anger. We throw stones because we want revenge. We throw stones because we won't let go of pettiness. Let me stop and say this. If any of you here at Sugar Hill Church are without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Any takers? Funny how that works, isn't it? Because you know what? I can't throw it at you. So I want to ask you to hang on to this. Put it in your cup holder. Put it on your sink. Put it on your desk somewhere during this week. And remember, I don't need that rock, and I certainly don't need to chunk it. I'm going to lay that rock down. I'm not going to hold on to it anymore. See, if any of you here are without sin, chunk it. Can we really afford to throw rocks? I mean, seriously. We all make mistakes. We all have sinned. We all have the same spiritual need for Jesus. We need to recognize this desperate need to grow up and become more like him. We never think of actually throwing a stone. I mean, Matt, I'd never throw this stone at you. Well, maybe. But I mean, I, I, I sure wouldn't want to. I mean, you're a good dude. But you know what kind of stones we find easy to throw? Hurtful statements. Gossip-filled statements. Judgmental statements. Harsh statements. Sometimes we even wrap a Bible verse around it, stuff it into a hand grenade, pull the pin, fire in the hole. Because see, we like to wrap it up with something that says Jesus on it. Because we're good then, right? I mean, you, you, can, you, can, you can just gossip all you want and then end with, but that's my prayer request today. So why is it that people want to throw rocks? Well, frustration causes you to do that. I, I've been frustrated for a week. My daughter's getting married tonight. I hate weddings with passion, especially ones that involve my kids. I have blubbered, I have cried, I have wailed, I have written things that men should never write. I mean, I have burnt my man card. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And I've been frustrated with all the junk that goes along with a wedding. You know what happens when we become frustrated? We don't see things very clearly. Some of us throw rocks because we're tired, we're fatigued. Everything looks worse when you're tired. You ever been to that point where just point of exhaustion and then you just know you need to do something, but what you really need to do is build a little more margin in your life? Hello, kettle, I'm pot. Frustration, fatigue, sometimes it's failure. When others fail us, we love to judge their actions. But when we fail us, 
we're pretty quick to be able to justify our actions. Sometimes it's false assumptions. We create assumptions based on faulty logic. You know where I found that happens most often? In texts and emails. Because you, you, can't, you can't read what's really happening, so you read between the lines. Or you're one of those folks that, that hides behind that keyboard and you are just hammering somebody. When you got done, you know what you felt like? I showed them. And you know what you really did? Pulled the pen on a hand grenade and threw it in there and said, you know, pull. and you know what's the problem? You never feel better for it, do you? You never feel better for it. You know why? The hand grenade never left your hand. It just blew up. But sometimes we, we, we do that. Our false assumptions will kill us. But what about our feelings? Sometimes following only our feelings and we make a choice out of shallowness. The moment we seek retribution for wrongs done to us, real or imagined, we lose a piece of our relationship with God. It's really that simple. Verse 10 says, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus is the only one who has both the right and the reason to condemn. And this is what Jesus does. He condemns without condemnation. Jesus always condemns the sin and always loves the sinner. So if you're here today and you made a mess of your life, you know what Jesus is saying to you? I'm not going to go light on your sin. You have really blown it. But I'll tell you what I'll do. Welcome home. I love you. Let's start over. I want to forgive your sin. Let's move forward. And you say, well, I just have a hard time forgiving myself. You know why? Because you haven't let God have control of your heart. Because if you, if you can't forgive yourself, you don't have the presence of Christ in you. Because the Holy Spirit of God will say to you, hey, you're good. He's got this. He threw it as far from the east to the west. You're good. Let's go. Move forward. You see, sin destroys the lives of those that Jesus loves. Sin, in essence, is the corruption of God's creation. Us. Who is it that he condemns? Who is he that condemns? I mean, Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Every time we choose, I remember telling my girls this when, when they were in high school and they were, they were younger, every, every time we choose to make a poor decision, every time we choose sin over the way of God, you know what we do? We have to literally lift our feet and step over a Jesus who is praying for us. You say, well, Chuck, it's really not like that. Well, according to this, it is. He's praying for you. Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, is praying for you. And you, every time, me and you, make a poor choice, we're literally saying, Jesus, I'm going to step over you who are praying for me before the Father because I'm going to have it my way and I'm going to chunk a stone. You remember when Jesus was in the desert and Satan was tempting him over in Matthew chapter 4? It says every time Satan come at him, he said, well, you can have this, you can have that, you can have the whole world. And Jesus said, it is written. So he came back again and he, he tempted him and he threw food at him. He said, oh, it is written. And he came back a third time and he said, for it is written. And then in verse 11 in chapter 4 in Matthew, it says, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Listen, back with the lady in John 8, Jesus wrote... And the crowd with the rocks left. In the, in the desert, Satan tempted Jesus and he talked about what was written and, and the devil left him alone. You see, our problem is we can't live those words until we know those words. You can't be more like Christ until you know how Christ is. 
You can't follow God's word unless you're in God's word. That's the purpose of these growth groups on Sunday and the community groups through the week. 37 options. Here's what I, here's what I've learned. If you are living a life with no relation, if you're living a life with no direction, if you're living a life with no correction and you're living a life with no accountability, I will promise you, you are going to mess up. Show me a man, show me a woman not willing to be held accountable in their walk with Christ. And I'll show you somebody who's going to mess up. You say, well, Chuck, how do you know it? We, We prove it all day, every day. If you saw the stream of people coming to my office throughout the week, we show, we show it every day. You look at my own life. If I'm not held accountable, you know what will happen? I'll get off the rails. So, so why not get in part of a growth group on Sunday morning and study God's Word? Why not get in a growth group that happens on Sunday night or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday and get in that growth group with a small group of people? And you say, well, Chuck, I, I'm not all about that. I can't know. I, I just want to come to church and sing. And I like it when you sing the kind of songs that I like. But when you sing the kind of songs I don't like, then I don't, I don't like church. But I can tolerate church. But, but I know I need to go to church. And, but, you know, that whole, that whole growth group thing, pfft, no. I can't do that. You know what you're really saying? I'll tell you what, I'll have a little bit of God and I'll give him a tip through the week, but I don't want to know any more about him. Now you see, men are notorious for this. Men come and say, you know what, the church is for girls. They, they do all that hold hands, kumbaya, cry about their stuff, you know. They really don't. Well, there's six or seven women's groups for Bible study you can pick all through the week. And you know what? They're not holding hands and crying. You know what they're doing? They're studying the Word of God so that they can go live and love and lead more like Christ every day. I mean, come on, guys, really? You know what? Listen, guys, what if you were to actually be a part of a group where somebody challenged you to live like Christ, to lead like Christ, and you actually started doing that, and you only had to make an 8- to 12-week commitment, and you say, you know what, child, I don't, I don't do that. That's just goofy. I mean, seriously, that's just goofy. So sign up. You say, well, how do I do that? Okay. Card. Internet. Table. Okay, say it with me. Card. Internet. See how easy that is? Chuck, for eight weeks, really? Okay, this is what happens. Now watch this. Watch this. If we're ever going to stop chunking rocks, it's not going to be because we have a better government. It's not because we have a better educational system. It's certainly not because we have more programs. It's going to be because men and women choose to grow to become more like Christ and they take the word of Christ and they let him ride in the sand in front of them so they can say when Satan tempts them, it is written. Now watch what happens. You get in the car to go to your growth group. Like let's just say uh, you, gr- you grab this, uh, this, this sheet here and you look there and say, okay, what, where am I going to go? I don't know what to do. Okay, boom. All right, I'm, I'm a lady. I'm going to go to Amy Henderson's house in the Buford area. The topic is on the ways of God, and the code is Wednesday 02. I take the card. I put my name on it. I put WED02 on it, and, and you get an email this next week from that facilitator that says, hey, here's a link on, the, on my address, and watch this. Watch. Okay, watch. Click. Bam. Address comes up. Directions. You can even turn the sound on it. It says, turn right, turn left. You can even have a British dude sound like he's doing it. You show up in front of the house, and one of the spouses, preferably the man, is saying this. Honey, I just don't want to do this. Really? I mean, do we really have to go? I don't even know these people. I don't like these people. 
I don't even like people. I, I'm going in a, oh, it, it sounds like when Jenny drags me to a party, I'd rather have an injection of chlorine than go to a party. And you know, the whole time, she's like pulling me like a kindergartner with one of those ropes going to the bathroom. Come on. And you know, the whole time, you know, I don't want to go. You know, and then when I finally get in there, I have a blast. So, you know, you, you get to the door, and the door is a little halfway open so they don't have to ring it contentiously. You walk in, and you walk in the house. And what way? Oh, you got coffee and drinks and, oh, and, this, and comfy chairs. It's not like in a church room. And I go in a house, and all of a sudden I hit play. The guy at the house, he hits play. And Francis Chan comes on, and he sees, why wow, Francis is going like this? And he's all excited. And for 25 minutes, how cool is that? And then for 35 minutes, you have this discussion where you're talking about the things of God and what matters in your life. And all of a sudden, watch what happens. You build relations. You get direction. At times, you get correction. And you got a built-in accountability. And the next thing you know, you take these rocks and you drop them. And you say, I don't need to chunk them anymore. You see, some of us like to take the rock and just say, I'm going to keep one in my pocket just in case. Because you never know when I need to be a jerk. What Jesus says is, listen, why don't you do this? Why don't you come along and get in a relationship because we need to know what is written before we can live what is written. We need to grasp his teaching so we can live in community and stop chunking rocks and throwing rocks and ducking from rocks. Jesus squatted down and wrote and afterwards said, go and sin no more. Too many of us are going without knowing and sinning some more rather than no more. So what rocks are you holding on today? What keeps you from joining a community or growth group today and saying, I'm, I'm going to start getting this right? I mean, my guess is you're hanging on to rocks of bitterness or anger or hatred or prejudice or fear. But whatever rocks you're carrying this morning, if God's been speaking to you, listen to his voice and use that rock to remind you not to throw it. You don't have to chunk it. You really don't. You don't even have to keep it in your pocket as an extra just in case. Surrender your pride and get going. Lay that weight down and learn what Jesus is riding in the dirt for you. Why? Because everybody I know needs compassion. Everybody. Everybody I know needs a love that never fails. Everybody I know needs mercy to fall on them. Everybody I know needs the hope of every nation. You see, our Jesus is mighty to save and ready to do so. Just drop the rock. Just drop the rock and follow him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray we'd be ready to recognize that you are mighty to save, that we need compassion and it all comes from you. We need grace and it all comes from you. That We need mercy and it all comes from you. So Lord Jesus, today we pray that you indeed would grant that to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Let's worship.